This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina, a very chilly Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake up call on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate you starting some time or spending some time with us here on a Tuesday morning. Of course, we took uh, the holiday off yesterday. Uh, as we watched the snow fly uh, Sunday into Monday, it turned out to be much worse for the rest of the state of North Carolina than it did for us uh, down here in the mountains, down in the southwest corner. Uh, got a little bit, but uh, really uh, not that big a deal. But uh, parts of North Carolina dealing with up to 10, 11 inches of snow. Uh, matter of fact, just down the road from us, about, I don't know, 10 miles uh, they had uh, eight, nine inches of snow. So uh, we got very lucky, I guess, being in this little valley where we are here that uh, we kind of escaped the worst of it. Uh, I know you up in the northeast and uh, in parts of the upper Midwest are dealing with some record cold temperatures. So uh, stay safe and uh, sit back and have some coffee and let's uh, let's get to some stuff to talk about this morning. Uh, we'll start with NFL football, of course. Um, and... You know, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. I kind of had hoped last night was going to be a little bit of a game. It was not. Uh, the the uh, the Rams absolutely destroyed the Arizona Cardinals last night, thirty-four to eleven. They built a thirty-one to nothing lead. This game was never close. And uh, you know. Matthew Stafford kind of got a monkey off of his back. He'd only been in three playoff games before in his career. Of course, those were all with the uh, Detroit Lions, who are terrible, and uh, gets the win last night, played very, very well. Look, uh, Stafford last night didn't have to throw the ball an awful lot. Uh, He only threw it 17 times. Season low. Uh, and went 13 for 17, did not throw an interception. And by the way, of those four missed passes that he had, three of them were drops. I mean, that's how sharp he was yesterday. But they didn't need him uh, in this game. Their defense did the job. They just smothered the Cardinals. There's no other way to put it. Uh, Now, Stafford got him going early. Uh, a four-yard touchdown pass to Odell Beckham Jr. late in the first quarter. They're up seven nothing. I mean, they were up twenty-one nothing at half. And and you didn't need to know any more about this game than the play that happened about midway through the second quarter when Kyler Murray was about to get sacked in the end zone for a safety, and he tries to make. This desperation heave out of the end zone. It was one of the most. It was one. It was funny. It really was. But he he just heaves the ball out of the end zone. It goes right into the arms of David Long at the three yard line. The easiest pick six he'll ever have in his life. And that's how uh, the scoring ends in the first half. And the Rams are up twenty one nothing. 
They made it 28-0 early in the third. Cooper Cup finally got involved in the offense. Hadn't done much of anything. Didn't need to. I mean, it just was silly. 28-0 before the Rams Rams finally gave up a score. James Conner with a two-yard touchdown run, and they made the two-point conversion. They make it 28-8, and you're thinking, all right, look, you know, there's only four minutes left in the third quarter. Chances aren't very good, but you never know. It could still be a game. And the Rams just said, yeah, never mind. And Matt Gay with a field goal five seconds into the fourth quarter. And uh, that was it. It was 31-8, and that was that was the night. Kyler Murray was, in a word, awful. <laughs> 19 for 34, 137 yards, couple of picks. They couldn't run the ball at all. Of course, they had to abandon the run game. Uh, with the exception of the touchdown by Connor, they you know when you get down twenty one twenty eight nothing, you don't have a lot of choice. Uh, so they couldn't run the ball at all. Uh, Sony Michelle wasn't great. Cam Akers wasn't great, but they were good enough. And uh, you know you look at the final numbers. If, you know first downs, it was a very even. But the difference in this game was is Arizona was zero for nine on third down. 0 for 9. Uh, you know, they only got 183 yards of offense. And they turned the ball over. You can't turn the ball over in a playoff game and expect to have any chance. And you have to give a lot of credit to that Ram defense, the, the amount of pressure that they were able to put on Kyler Murray last night. I mean, it was just silly. So this was uh, this was over before it started practically – and it just kind of capped off, by and large, an awful, awful weekend of NFL football. Um, the Rams' reward for winning last night, they get to take on Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers down in Tampa. Good luck. Uh, Tampa with another dominant effort. Uh, you know, look. I don't know how much more we can continue to say about Tom Brady. This is another one of those games that wasn't a game. You know, look, you really didn't give the Eagles a whole hell of a lot of chance. You know, I mean, you you really, uh, matter of fact, one of the few games that uh, Dan Zampano got right all weekend. (laughs) Although, although he got it right here, he picked Tampa Bay. But uh, on the Sunday Card podcast, because the spread was so big, it was eight and a half points. He figured, you know, he took Philadelphia, figuring that Philly, you know, would co- cover the spread. Yeah, they didn't. They lost by 16, and it wasn't that close. Tampa built a 31 nothing lead in this game. Philadelphia got 15 consolation points in the fourth quarter. You know, I mean, and look, uh, Brady wasn't, I, I get you wouldn't call him spectacular, I guess, but you know what? He's 44 years old, and he was as solid as you could be. 29 of 37. Those 29 passes went to nine different receivers. 272 yards, a couple of touchdowns, no interceptions. The only the only downside for Brady, I guess, was that he got sacked four times. And I kept saying, and I will say this, you know, I will say this every game I watch, and I don't care whether it's a 44-year-old quarterback or a 24-year-old quarterback. When you are up 31 to nothing in the fourth quarter, and this is the playoffs, what the hell is your quarterback still doing in the game? Seriously. Why, you know, look, I know Brady doesn't like to come out of games, but if you're Bruce Arians, you got to just, you know, you got to be smart here. 
You got to be. You know, it just is absolutely ludicrous to have that guy still in the game. I'm sorry. So, uh, but at the end of the day, it was an expected result. The Eagles lose again. Giant fans everywhere are happy. But, my God, you know, another another blowout. Uh, and uh, Rob Gronkowski, another postseason touchdown. Mike Evans, huge game, nine catches, 117 yards. And, look, they ran that ball well. You know, no Leonard Fournette. And, you know, you get a little bit nervous. Fournette was has been such a big part of that team this year. But Keyshawn Vaughn stepped in very nicely. You know, scored a touchdown. Uh, Giovanni Bernard, a touchdown. I mean, look, would it, would it have been nice to have uh, Leonard Fournette? Well, of course, but those guys filled in very admirably, and uh, you got to give them a lot of credit. And you got to give Tom Brady a lot of credit. And at this point, I guess we shouldn't even be talking about his age anymore, right? I mean, you know, he's Tom Brady. doesn't matter. He, he could be 64. He'll probably be doing the same stuff. Uh, so, you know, so that was, that was the, uh, the second game on Saturday. One of the few decent games we had, or excuse me, that was the first game on Sunday. One of the few decent games that we had came on Saturday night with Las Vegas and Cincinnati. I mean, seriously, that was one of the few decent games we saw. Uh, Cincinnati wins the game 26-19. to And Joe Burrow did not look like a young quarterback. He was very composed. That was a huge game for them. The first playoff win for the Cincinnati Bengals folks in 31 years. 31. It didn't start out well. Daniel Carlson got uh, Green Bay on the board first, but then it was uh, all Cincinnati. They built up a 20-6 to lead. Uh, Derek Carr kept Green Bay in it, got a touchdown just at the end of the second quarter. So it's a 20-13 to game. And, uh, you know, Cincinnati got another field goal early in the third. They didn't do a lot in the whole second half, just a couple of Evan McPherson field goals. But Joe Burrow threw for 244 yards, a couple of touchdowns, only got sacked twice, which, again, uh, with the way that Cincinnati offensive line has struggled all year, that in itself probably a minor miracle, right? Uh, So, uh, you know, a decent game. And now, look, Cincinnati has their hands full. They got to play number one Tennessee, but I'm going to tell you what, if I'm them, I'm a hell of a lot happier about being able to play Tennessee than Buffalo or Kansas City. I know Tennessee's the number one seed. I get it. I still think that bu- those the Buffalo and Kansas City teams are much more dangerous than Tennessee. I do. Um, I understand we're having some issues on uh, Facebook Live this morning. I apologize for whatever reason, and, and it's it's probably I'm sure it's. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm sure it is my uh, internet connection. It is horrible. Uh, we're trying to uh, to do it uh, as best we can. There's going to be some days, I guess, you know, based on whatever happens. Uh, 
with my internet connection if it's if it wants to cooperate whether or not we're going to be able to do uh, uh, Facebook live but uh, we're trying so uh, hang with us uh, hopefully we can keep things going uh, so anyway so that was a, a semi-decent game uh, of course the Patriot game oh my god uh, look am I surprised that the Patriots lost well, of course not I actually expected them to lose this game. I know, you know, I know our buddy Dan, you know, thought that the Patriots were going to win this game. I never thought New England really had a chance to win this game. However, I did expect them to represent a little bit. I did expect them to keep the game, you know, competitive. I thought that they could lose this game by 10 or so. They lost this game by 30, folks, and it wasn't that close. Seriously, I mean, this is it was twenty-seven to three at halftime. They got a Nick Folk field goal with a second left. Otherwise, they're down twenty-seven nothing at the half. They were never, ever in this game. And look, Mac Jones was not the problem here. I knew he. I know he threw a couple of picks, and one of the picks he threw was uh, an absolutely uh, ridiculous interception. You know, it was one of those that. Uh, it was a kind of a Hall of Fame kind of play. Uh, but other, Mac Jones was not the problem here. 24 for 38, threw for 232, a couple of touchdowns. He did have the two picks, as I said. But the defense was the problem. The defense was invisible. Look, Josh Allen threw for 308 yards and five touchdowns. He only missed four passes all day. Oh, and he ran six times for 66 yards. The defense was lost. And that, to me, is where this game was lost. I mean, there's no, I mean, you give up 482 yards. Look, and I know Josh Allen is good. You know, now, you know, he has, he wasn't as good this year as he's been, uh, as he was last year. But this guy is still pretty good. And, but look, the New England defense has played well all season long. Well, they were just, a, for, to a man, they were invisible. You know, and at the end of the game, Bill Belichick says, they, they, they were just better than us today. Hey, Bill, they were better than you all season. Let, let's, let's, you know, let's be honest. They, uh, the only game they won was the one in the the uh, absolute practically hurricane up in Buffalo. You know, uh, one of the ugliest games you ever want to see, and they somehow managed to to get through that one. But then Buffalo came to Foxborough a couple of weeks later and absolutely beat the ever-living crap out of them, and they just did the same thing yesterday. So it tells you what happened uh, in Foxborough wasn't a fluke. You know, and it was talk, well, you know, Josh Allen's not a great cold-weather quarterback. And, you know, Dan was here giving us his stats over the last few weeks when they played subpar opponents in the cold, and they weren't very good. Look, you know, uh, and, and, and here's the thing. Patriot fans should not be angry. You know, and, and there was a lot of anger at the end of this game. You know, fire Steve Belichick. Not, not Bill, by the way, his son. You know, because he's, uh, you know, works with the defense. Fire him. Fire him. Look, how about if we step back for a moment, think about where this team was last year with Cam Newton. 
And A, be grateful that we didn't have to watch 17 regular season train wrecks. You know, we, we were competitive. You know, this was a team that, that had a winning record. And we have a young quarterback in Mac Jones that he probably won't be the rookie of the year. That's probably going to be Jamar Chase from the Cincinnati Bengals. But Mac Jones proved to us this year that he has an opportunity to be a great quarterback. And I don't want to get carried away and say, you know, he's he's not the next Tom Brady. Let's, you know, I I don't think. You know, and I'm not telling you that the guy's going to be a Hall of Famer. Maybe he will. But here's what we know. This kid can play. And I th- so I think the Patriots are in good hands. Um, you know, they need to they still have some work to do offensively. Look, Damian Harris if he can stay healthy, you know, the problem was he wasn't healthy for a lot of the year. You know, and maybe that hurt their seeding a little bit. Maybe they a couple of games they could have won, won without him, but you know, look, Damian Harris had nine carries for 30 yards against Buffalo. And again, I know you had to abandon the run because of what was going on, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, they need a little bit of help. They need it. You know, I think uh, Ramondre Stevenson is going to be really good. They still need to do some work in the receiving core without a doubt. Uh, I think we've seen that Kendrick Bourne, you know, he, it, it took him a little while to get going. You know, that's another guy. Jacoby Myers, another guy I think that uh, uh, is going to be a, a big player. You know, uh, Hunter Henry took him a long time to get going. But, again, you know, maybe, uh, you know, they get him involved a little bit more next year. They've got work to do, but they've got to figure out this defensive thing right now and why they were uh, missing an action against the Buffalo Bills. There was, there's no other way to put that. That was just embarrassing, absolutely embarrassing. Uh, and then, of course, the five, the Pittsburgh Steelers-Kansas City Chief game. Oh, my God. Oh. Uh, you know, watching that game, and Kansas City wins it 42-21, and believe me when I tell you, if you didn't see the game, it wasn't that close in what is likely Ben Roethlisberger's last game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, it was more about uh, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey than it was about Ben Roethlisberger. Look, Mahomes threw for 404 yards, five touchdowns. Five. You know, I mean, uh, so from that standpoint, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, you know, was overshadowed. You know, look, he tried his best. Threw for 215 yards, a couple of touchdowns. He did not throw any interceptions. You know, Ben did his best, but this was just a case of there was too much Kansas City. Look, they were... They they uh they gave up a a, a touchdown to the defense. T.J. Watt with a, a fumble return for a touchdown, and then Kansas City scored the next thirty five points. <laughs> you know it was it, you know if Kansas City doesn't give that ball away, they they're pitching a shutout into the third quarter. You know and. Uh, you know, Deontay Johnson catches a touchdown pass from Roethlisberger with four minutes to go in the third quarter, and they finally get an offensive touchdown. But this game was long, long over. And I can't wait for the game this weekend between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. I can't 
wait for that. Um, that is going to be fun. You know, and look, Buffalo beat the crap out of Kansas City, remember, during the regular season. Handled them easily, 38-20, to 20, right? Uh, this is a uh, rematch of last year's AFC title game. Chiefs won that one by a couple of touchdowns. But Josh Allen threw three touchdowns and ran for two more against Kansas City earlier this season. The game was back in October, I believe. I can't wait for this one. Um, and I have to be honest. I don't know. I don't. I. I guess you know. I. I don't have a rooting interest per se, but as somebody who follows the Patriots and somebody who followed the San Diego Chargers for a long, long time, I have a hard time rooting for either one of these teams. So I, I just hope it's a good game. I guess. Um, you know, and I, you know, I gotta, and I gotta be honest. In the other game, Tennessee, I'm really hoping that Cincinnati finds a way to win that game. I'd like to see Joe Burrow get there. I think it'd be a great story. You know, it would be a neat story. You know, in a, in an NFC champion or AFC championship game to have. Uh, Joe Burrow against Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. I mean, those are three good young quarterbacks. So that's going to be fun. But, boy, that game was a, a clown show. And then the San Francisco 49ers. And you look at the final score of this one, you go, that oh, was a good game. It really wasn't until the end. I mean, San Francisco tried to give that game away. You know, and everybody's screaming about the end of the game and, you know, the – Cowboys trying to get that go-ahead touchdown in the final minute and Dak Prescott running the football and the fact they couldn't get one more playoff because the uh, the referee had to touch the ball. Look, it's the rules. Here's the thing, you know, and, and this is what everybody has to understand. You be as mad as you want to be, and they're throwing stuff at the officials and yada, yada, yada. Everybody knows what the rule is. They know that the line judge has to touch the football to put it back in play. You know, it can't be that the uh, the offense just runs up, puts the ball down on the field, and, you know, snaps it and go. It doesn't work that way. The mistake that Dak Prescott made was, uh, you know, it's fine running with the football and trying to go down the middle of the field to give yourself a manageable try uh, on the last play, you know, to get it close to the end zone so you're not trying to throw a 40- or 50-yard heave. So that was the right play. The, the mistake that Dak Prescott made was if you're going to make that run, you can't run 20 yards. You have to run 10 yards and get down by running that extra distance. You know, and I know he was trying to get all he could, but by running that extra distance, by the time that he was, you know, that he gave himself up, there was like nine seconds on the clock. There wasn't enough time to get everybody to the line of scrimmage, the referee to touch the ball and get it off. It just wasn't. So the fault is more with Dak Prescott than it was with any anything else. You know, I mean, and look, you know, San Francisco had a 23-7 lead in this game. And if not for Jimmy Garoppolo throwing an absolutely stupid interception in the fourth quarter, this isn't even a game. We're not even having this conversation. Um, you know, and come to find out, not only is Garoppolo dealing with the, the thumb issue, he sprained his shoulder in that game as well. And now they get now San Francisco they they survive they get to play the Green Bay Packers. See ya. <laughs> That's going to be a a short playoffs for them. But good that they got the win. But but my my last point on this game and this is the part that really angered me after the game. Dak Prescott totally classless. And I know you know uh, not about the referees or anything like that. Or well not verbally about the referees but 
at the at the end of the game, when he finds out that fans are throwing cans and bottles and trash at the referees as they're walking off, you know what he said? Good on them. Really? Totally classless. This is a guy that's supposed to be a big leader, and you're applauding the fact that your fans were throwing stuff at the referees. Really nice. Really nice. I lost a lot of respect for Dak Prescott when I when I saw those comments. It's just wrong. It's, you, you can't. That, that's indefensible. 31 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 33 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Tuesday morning from Hayesville, North Carolina. So the games are all set for this coming week. We will have uh, number four Cincinnati at uh, number one Tennessee in the AFC. That game will be on Saturday afternoon at 430 the other AFC game, of course, as I said, Buffalo, the number three seed at number two, Kansas City. That will be 6.30 at night on Sunday. In the NFC, it's number one, Green Bay, against number six, San Francisco, uh, at 8.15 on Saturday night. And then it'll be the Rams and uh, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That game will be on Sunday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I have not seen a line on that game yet. Um, I'm sure there probably is one. It just wasn't in my paper this morning. Uh, but the other three games are all, uh, the lines are not that lopsided. I am, I, I have to be honest. I'm surprised, uh, that the odds makers, at least early on only have the 49ers as a four and a half point underdog at green Bay. Um, I think green Bay wins this game by a couple of touchdowns. Um, I, I do. Uh, Tennessee is a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Cincinnati, and Kansas City is an early two-and-a-half-point favorite against the Buffalo Bills. So all pretty close. Um, and, of course, we'll have Dan Zampano coming up on Friday to talk about uh, all of last week's games and uh, this week's games. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure Dan is uh, uh, <laughs> a little despondent after uh, his performance on the Sunday card. I think he went over. I think on his podcast, I think he was 0 for 6 this week in playoff games. Just brutal. Uh, but uh, we poke fun at Dan because we can. Um, one other uh, bit of NFL news. The Raiders fired their general manager yesterday, Mike Mayock, after three seasons. Um, they uh, have already made a request to interview Dave Ziegler from the New England Patriots for the GM job. Somebody else also said that they have asked for permission to talk to Jared Mayo, or Gerard Mayo, I'm sorry, uh, about the head coaching position. Now, I'm sure that, uh, and I think Rich Passaccia deserves the opportunity to lead this team. Uh, look, he took over an absolute train wreck with what happened this year with the with the personnel issues and, of course, the whole John Gruden thing. And the fact that they won four straight at the end of the regular season, finished 10-8, and 10-7 and seven in the regular season, 10-8 and eight if you count the playoffs. Um, you know, I think that he deserves another chance. Now, supposedly he has already met with, uh, uh, with the owner about returning 
and I think he deserves a chance. You know, and it's not this is nothing against Gerard Mayo. I think Gerard Mayo will probably get a head coaching position at some point, but uh, I think Basachi deserves another chance. And you know, look, there's there's talk about whether Derek Carr will return to the Raiders as an opportunity to become a free agent, and will he return to the Raiders? And it could be tied to the head coaching position. So we'll kind of have to watch that a little bit closely. But look, at the end of the day, I think what Doom Mayock was the mess this year. You know, look, uh, when you have draft picks, number one draft picks, like Henry Ruggs and then uh, Damon Arnett, you know, Ruggs, of course, getting involved in that uh, fatal DUI crash, and then uh, Arnett going online and threatening somebody. You know, I mean, uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's pretty damning. So I think that was the final nail in his coffin. So we'll have to see what happens, but uh, it the, looks like the uh, another axe might be about to fall on a head coach. Usually when the GM goes... You, you could see the head coach go as well. That's kind of what happened in New York when I thought when Gettleman retired, I still felt that Judge needed a, Joe Judge had an opportunity to retain his job. But as Dan Zampano said, it's kind of hard, you know, to saddle a new general manager with a coach that he didn't hire. We see that in every level of sports. We see it in baseball a lot as well. And a new GM is going to want some input on uh, on who's coaching his team. So Mike Mayak is out. That may mean Rich Bisacci is out. And, you know, again, depending on what direction the Raiders go, that could mean Derek's car, car is out. And I'm telling you what, that would be disastrous. And I'm not saying that the Raiders have to uh, that the Raiders have to go to Derek Carr and say, okay, Derek, who do you want the coach to be? I'm not saying that it has to be to that level. But I think uh, there needs to be some kind of a conversation with Derek Carr about, hey, you know, what what are you looking for? What are you comfortable with? Uh, you know, you know, and, and maybe get his input about some ideas, although not necessarily, uh, you know, telling him who to hire. But I think when a guy like, look, Derek Carr is a special quarterback. They've got to keep him happy. So uh, we'll see how much input they actually do give him. It is 40 minutes past the hour. We're going to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 41 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Tuesday morning. So the Boston Celtics had a matinee yesterday. A lot of NBA teams uh, play afternoon games on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, and the Celtics were no exception. And uh, the Celtics had a little trouble, I think, getting used to the early start. Matter of fact, a couple of players uh, mentioned it. They, you know uh, that uh, you know having to get up at eight thirty in the morning to to play a game early in the afternoon. You know, it must be a tough life. You know, tough life. Oh my God, I had to get up at eight thirty. It's horrible. <laughs> uh, but the Celtics got down early. They they dug themselves. Um, a big hole. They were down 18 points in the first half. Uh, they ended up waking up in the second half and uh, ended up beating the New Orleans Pelicans yesterday, 104 
to 92. Jason Tatum with 27 points. Uh, 21 of those came in the second half. The Celtics have now won five of the last six. Uh, Dennis Schrader, Jalen Brown, 23 points. Um, and, uh, you know, look, uh, the Celtics are now over 500. Uh, they've been doing the, they've won five of the last six without their best defensive player. Marcus Smart is still in uh, the COVID-19 protocols. Um, but, uh, look, you know, it's not like they beat a great team. Pelicans are six and 17 on the road, you know, but that was a win. If you are the Celtics, you have got to have, you cannot afford to lose two teams like that. Uh, but the Celtics, uh, missed 16 of their first 18 three-point shots. So uh, so blame it on the early start if you want to. Uh, now the Celtics will have to play the uh, Charlotte Hornets. That game will be on Wednesday night. The Celtics beat Charlotte in their first meeting all the way back in October, but it was an overtime game. Uh, so, look, the Celtics have themselves in a position where if they can finish strong, you know, and right now they've got themselves, they've, they've played well enough now, they've got themselves finally out of that play-in position. Um, but, you know, and, and they, you know, nobody wants to be in that. But, you know, I, I still, you know, the depth on this team is a problem. And I don't want to hear any more about, you know, they should trade, you know, Jalen Brown or Jason Taylor. They shouldn't trade either one of those guys. There's no reason why two great players can't play together. Right? I mean, we've seen that uh, on a lot of teams. We've seen that now with the uh, the Brooklyn Nets, with Kevin Durant and James Harden and Kyrie Irving, although Kyrie Irving's only a part-time player. By the way, Kyrie Irving, what an idiot. You know, now they're going to be without Kevin Durant probably for at least a month, maybe up to six weeks. And Kyrie Irving, who is not vaccinated, can't play home games because of the New York rule of if you're not vaccinated, you know, you just you can't play. And uh, he has said that Durant's injury and what that means to the team does not change anything in his mind about what he's going to do about the vaccine. He's not getting one. So basically, I'm going to play the road games. You're going to be without me and Durant at home. And best of luck to you. You know, uh, again, I, you know, I, I don't and I don't know how this sits with his teammates. It just doesn't sit right with me, but it doesn't sit right with me about anybody who doesn't want to get the vaccine. And, you know, that's it's a sore subject. It's a sore subject down here in Hayesville. Uh, but, um, you know, I don't know how it sits with, with his teammates, but it would irritate the crap out of me. It really would. You know, when the majority of the league is vaccinated and you're going to be one of the bullet heads and you're supposed to be an elite player in this league, and now your team really needs you and you're not going to be there for them. So just to me, he just continues to bury himself in the minds of a lot of fans. And I can't believe Brooklyn Net fans are thrilled about this. You know, I mean, I you know, it just, uh, well, whatever, it's whatever. Uh, and, and by the way, you know, the thing was, you know, Kyrie, Kyrie Irving, you know, is the same guy that you know thought the world was flat. So there you go. Uh, how about this? Timo Meyer, five goals last night for the San Jose Sharks. Not only did he have five goals, he had a hat trick in the first period. He had five goals by the end of the second period. He actually had a couple of opportunities to get a sixth goal in the third period. I mean, what a day! Uh, you know, the, Shr- the the Sharks win the game easily. They beat the Los Angeles Kings 6-2. to two. Um, 
Last guy to score five goals in the NHL, by the way, uh, was about uh, two years ago when uh, Mika Zibanejad did it for the New York Rangers. Uh, he did it against the Washington Capitals. Uh, and that's the 11th single-period hat trick in Sharks history. That's way more than I would have thought. Because let me tell you, folks, scoring a hat trick is pretty good. Doing it in one period, that's not not easy. Uh, so, uh, but the 11th time that somebody in Sharks history has done that. So, uh, by the way, the NHL record, if you were wondering, guy by the name of Joe Malone, he did it, uh, for the Quebec Bulldogs in 1920. He scored seven and there have been seven players that have had six goals over the years, but, uh, uh, not too many get to that. And, and, you know, Timo Meyer almost had an opportunity for his sixth yesterday, but boy, what a, what a performance. Uh, what was not a great performance yesterday, UConn women's basketball team. And, I, you know, they are known as, you know, the premier women's basketball team in the country over the last 20 years. And uh, yesterday, well, maybe even longer, longer than that, maybe 25, 30 years. Um, they lost yesterday on the road to the Oregon Ducks. Um and uh, some of that was because they did not have Kristen Williams. They had six players. They played six players. Two of them played. Two players played forty minutes. Another one played thirty-nine minutes. Uh, but it's the first time that the Huskies have lost multiple games to unranked unranked opponents since two thousand three two thousand four season. They've lost four games prior to the NCAA tournament for the first time since the 2012-2013 season. Think about that for a minute, right? This is a UConn team that is, well, we know how good they are, all right? But to think about that for a minute, you haven't lost four games prior to the NCAA tournament in 10 years. It's just crazy. You know, I mean, and, and, and you wonder why so many teams are jealous and there's a lot of sniping at the, the UConn Huskies when you have that kind of success. And so believe me, there is no one that feels sorry for UConn right now. You know, the fact that they've had all these injuries that, you know, Paige Becker is their best player is out. You know, she might be back at the end of February. Had to have knee surgery. You know, Aubrey Griffin, a great uh, role player on this team. Had back surgery. Out. I mean, it's just right now, nobody, you know, they can't, they, they can't get any kind of rhythm going because you don't know who's going to play from time to time, from game to game. And again, and, and, and give UConn a lot of credit. Olivia Nelson Adota, you know, who played 33 minutes yesterday, had, a, you know, 17 points, eight rebounds, did her part, six assists. I mean, she had a hell of a game, one of her best games of the season. But at the end of the day, you know, when, when after they got beat, she said to the reporters, look, you know, Krista Williams was out with COVID. We can't use that as, a, as an excuse. Everybody in the country is dealing with this. And she's right. Now, not everybody in the country is dealing with all the injuries that UConn's had to deal with. You know, it's not just the COVID. I mean, at one point, you know, they had, uh, you know, four players down with injuries. A couple of them still out, you know, as he FUD, you know, their number one recruit. Not able to play either. You know, so... It, Look, I think UConn's going to be fine. I think, what, no, look, Paige Beckers is going to come back. She's going to have some rust. I get all that. FUD's going to be back. Um, they're going to be fine, and they are still going to be a very dangerous team. You know, in some ways, and I know this is going to sound silly, but in some ways, the struggles now 
not necessarily a bad thing for UConn. They'll have a lower seed. You know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the seeding breaks out a little bit better for them and they can knock off, you know, one of the, one of the higher seeds early in the tournament and, you know, shake things up a little bit. You know, and uh, so it, it may turn out to be okay for UConn. I, I'm not too worried about them. I still think it's a Final Four team. I don't know if they're good enough to win it yet. Maybe they are. If everybody's healthy, they are. So, you know, uh, I wouldn't worry too much. I, I think UConn still at least makes the Final Four. Maybe they go a little bit farther. We'll see. Uh, one other quick UConn note. Uh, Adama Sonogo was named the Big East Player of the Week. Uh, on Monday, 26 points, 18 rebounds, six blocks as they beat St. John's in overtime on Wednesday. We talked about that game. It was a, that was a classic. Um, and uh, then in an overtime loss that same week, uh, he had 18 points and 16 rebounds and an OT loss to Seton Hall. So, uh, And this is a guy, by the way, who was playing with an abdominal strain. Second time this year, he's gotten the Player of the Week honor. Uh, he got it back at the end of uh, November. Uh, he has quickly established himself as one of the premier big men uh, in college basketball. Really, really good. Uh, hey, did you, how about this? Uh, ESPN, and uh, to the relief of many, many baseball fans, and myself included, ESPN has dumped their broadcast team on Sunday Night Baseball of Matt Vaskersian and A-Rod. And to that I say, hallelujah. And they are replacing them. Um, with a much nicer team. It's going to be uh, Carl Ravitch, um, Eduardo Perez, who we've heard on there, who's, who does a nice job, and they've added David Cohn from the Yes Network, uh, you know, another Yankee. But be that as it may, David Cohn is a very good analyst. I enjoy listening to him on Yes games when I watch the Yankee games. Um, and uh, A-Rod is not going to be completely gone from ESPN, which is a shame. ESPN seems determined to try to jam him down our throats in some way or another. Uh, you know, in uh, the NFL, they're doing the Manning cast for Monday Night Football where uh, the main game is on ESPN, and then the two Manning brothers, Eli and Peyton, uh, kind of host this uh, irreverent look at games, and they have celebrities on, and they talk um, about the game on ESPN2. Well, they are going to do the same thing uh, for Sunday Night Baseball, and it's going to be A-Rod and Michael K. Folks, this is going to be unlistenable. Not only do I have to listen, would you have to listen to A-Rod, you'd have to listen to Michael K. And I'm sorry, folks, Michael K. is a blowhard. Blowhard. It's a guy that, you know, has been on New York radio for years. I, you know, he's also a Yankee broadcaster on, on Yes, I get that. You know, he's been around for a long time, uh, you know, did, did radio as well and, you know, worked with John Sterling. But Michael Kay is just awful. And I cannot imagine how this is going to be at all entertaining. Oh, brutal. But... Take the good with the bag. He's off to Sunday night. A Rod's off to Sunday night games, and uh, hopefully that will make them a lot easier to watch. Uh, a couple other quick notes. A couple of country music notes before we get out of here. Ralph Emery died uh, this weekend. He was 88 years old. If you don't know who Ralph Emery is, if you're not a country music fan, Ralph Emery was kind of like the uh, Johnny Carson of country music. Uh, back when the Nashville Network um, was uh, was around. 
Uh, he hosted a nightly entertainment show um, that was really, really good. It was called Nashville Now. Uh, you know, when it, it was one of those things. It, it was just like Johnny Carson. He sat at a, a desk and interviewed different country music uh, celebrities. And uh, it was really, it was a great show. Great show. Um, and uh, he later uh, hosted a team uh, show called Pop Goes the Country. You probably heard about that. But this is a guy that, that started out uh, as a radio DJ, little station. He actually ended up working for WSM. That's the station that carries the Grand Old Opry. Um, been around for a long, long time. Knew everybody. Everybody loved this guy. Um, and uh, passed away of natural causes this weekend at the age of 88. Also dying this weekend, Dallas Frazier. Now, you won't know who he is, but you will know some of his songs. Uh, probably, for those of you that aren't country music fans, probably the song that you would know the most by him. Remember the uh, uh, the big pop hit? by the Oak Ridge Boys back in the 80s, Elvira. That was Dallas Frazier that wrote that. Uh, he wrote a lot of great songs. He also wrote, back in the 50s, actually, I guess it was in the 60s, it was a novelty song that came out. It was called Alley Oop uh, the, that was uh, recorded by the Hollywood Argyles. I think it was like 1960, 61, something like that. Uh, but he wrote songs for people like uh, Charlie Rich and Emmy Lou Harris, uh, Jack Green. I mean, he wrote some really, really great songs. Uh, he passed away uh, this weekend at the age of 82. Uh, he had retired, really, from the country music business um, about 20 years ago and uh, became a minister. And uh, now he still was around. He, he would appear on uh, uh, my buddy Bill Anderson would host the uh, Country Family Reunion. He would come on a lot of those shows and, and talk about a lot of the folks that he knew. And, uh, you know, but uh, one of the big songwriters in uh in nashville over the last uh, 30 years dallas frazier passed away uh, this weekend at the age of 82 that is going to do it for us here this morning we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the wake-up call uh we'll go out with some music it's bobby gold goldsboro's birthday today bobby goldsboro uh had a huge hit back in the late 60s uh called honey uh, i think he is 86 years old today so in honor of bobby goldsboro's birthday uh, here is uh, that uh, big hit. His That was the biggest hit of his career. Here's Bobby Goldsboro. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.